0: This episode of The Interface, I speak with Annette Tyler, Corporate Director of Distribution for Amphenol. Annette has been with FCI and Amphenol for over 20 years. We talk about her role at a high level and how often the most successful distribution partnerships with Amphenol are the ones that best understand our culture. We talk about the desire to get back in front of the distributors to develop the vital three-dimensional relationship that suffered due to COVID. We talk about growing up in Montreal, then moving across Canada to Vancouver and her love of both areas. We talk about the unbelievable story of working for an orthopedic surgeon and getting a leg up, if you will. We talk about joining FCI and the eventual thrill of being acquired by Amphenol, and we discuss her Desert Island album, book, and movie. This is The Interface. Are you used to it now, having spent so much time working from home?
1: I have to say at the beginning, my goodness, it was, it was like withdrawal symptoms I was having, you know, because I was so used to traveling internationally pretty much every week. I was gone Mm. at least three out of four weeks a month uh, traveling the globe. And so when that came to a screeching halt, I think the very first day of March, I actually said, oh, this is going to be nice. I don't have to fight through airports. I don't have to race from one terminal to another, trying to catch my next flight. You know, I I actually could spend some time and think bigger picture and strategize and everything. And I have to say at the beginning, I really enjoyed it. It was wonderful to be at home, to be able to have three meals a day at home. And just, I thought I would have more time, but as time progressed and everyone got accustomed to Zoom and to Teams and, you know, the virtual world, that we're so used to now, more and more meetings were prevalent every day, right? You'd have oh, sure. one Zoom meeting a day, then it was two, and then three. And now it's very common to have 10 to 15 Zoom meetings a day. So your day is packed and you're putting in more hours and more time. So the struggle now is to find that time to have that strategic thinking, you know, just try and find the time to move away from the day to day and think the big picture. But I mean, it's something that is great in many respects. And then from another perspective, it's very much a two dimensional interaction and you're missing that face to face. You're missing the energy. And that's something that I, deeply missed I can't wait to get back into it just having that face-to-face breaking bread with someone having a meal kicking back socializing yes talking business etc but business happens when you have relationships and you have to nurture those relationships and the zoom thing works if you've had long-standing relationships but if you're trying to break in you know doing that virtually that's that's not so easy. It's, it's achievable, but it's not done as well as face-to-face. So I do miss that.
0: Traveling aside during this last year and you know, eight months or so, uh, with your job as the director of distribution for Amphenol Corporation, tell the people who don't know what that job really entails-
1: So I actually wear two hats at Amphenol, as so many people do. Many people wear several hats. So my my first job is corporate director of distribution for Amphenol. Uh, And then aside to that, I am the director of distribution for AICC for North America. So it's wonderful. It's so exciting, you know. I joined Amphenol back in 2016 as part of the FCI acquisition. So Mm -hmm. I was a distribution manager for North America at old FCI. And then when we became part of Amphenol, FCI got blended into what's now called AICC.
0: Mm
1: -hmm. And then I was part of Richard Jacobs distribution council. His SAC meetings, if you will, strategic advisory councils, right? Yep. So that opened up the world of Amphenol to me and the rest of the world of distribution within Amphenol. So I enjoyed very much participating in his meetings. And then unbeknownst to me, I was his heir apparent, I guess, if you will, (laughs) because he was planning to retire. And so he asked me to join him at his European meetings and at his Asia meetings. And that was a real learning experience. And so when he did retire eventually in 2017, July 2017, I was given the honor to replace him in that role, like corporate director of distribution role. And so it's a unique position because I don't have anyone reporting into me, but all of the distribution managers from all of the different groups within Amphenol, we are a team right. and we have a team. In North America, we have a team in Europe, and we have a team in Asia. And we get together at least once a quarter. And yes, we review the numbers of distribution. We review all of you know the channel partners and how they're doing. And you know we exchange. You know this distributor is doing really well for us. And then someone might say, well, that distributor is not working very well for me. So what are you doing to help drive and grow that business that I can incorporate when I engage with that distributor? So. There's a lot of dialogue, exchange of ideas, and brainstorming. So that's, that's a big part of it. But another part of it is to really get that collaboration. You know, mm-hmm. Amphenol is such a powerful brand, such a broad suite of products. From one side, many distributors out there still think of Amphenol as military aerospace. They're not mm-hmm. yet accustomed to, you know, board level solutions, high speed solutions, RF solutions, sensors, right? There's so much that we have to offer. And yet so many distributors, the salespeople out there, aren't that familiar yet. So Part of my challenge and my initiatives is to open up the world of what we have to offer to the distributor salespeople on a global basis. So that's a lot of fun. Pre-pandemic, we started having these regional ethanol kind of trade shows or summits we would call them where we would invite all of the distributors in the territory or in the country to come and we literally, it was a trade show. So the distributor salespeople would walk through usually a big hotel conference hall. We'd have our booths, AICC, AMO, ASTG, etc. And it was so exciting to see their eyes just open up and say, I had no idea mm-hmm. that Amphenol made all of these products, you know? Sure. So that's, that is just phenomenal. I love seeing that. So that was really effective. And then the pandemic hits, and so we had to kind of cease that but we quickly adapted as we all do within Amphenol, We switched to doing those type of, event, of events virtually and they were great, we got a lot of attention. and Actually, you could get a lot more attendance when we mm-hmm. switched to doing it virtually, right? So what used to be just a small event in a particular city now could be a global event because you're inviting people from all over the globe. So we were able to touch and expand our reach and expand our message. So that, that was a lot of fun. So driving the power of Amphenol, but then also driving the power of distribution within Amphenol, Mm. not all of our operations and divisions do a lot of business through distribution through the channel. Right. So, Many of them have a lot of their business going through the channel and they're on board. They love distribution. They, they see the value. They've seen the business grow by the use of distribution, but then there are other operations that historically typically put their business through direct, right? Right. So part of, part of my goal and initiatives is to open up the world of distribution to those other operations that, you know what, if you connected with your channel partners, major channel partners that we have, they can help you grow your business. They have many more feet on the street. Right. They cater to millions of customers across the globe. And they're, they're the window of the opportunities to the next set of technologies that we're going to go into. So they've got eyes and ears to what's coming to us as far as future generations of products and technologies, emerging markets. So... Two things, you know, getting the power of ethanol to the distributors, getting the power of distribution to all of the ethanol operations. So that's been a lot of.
0: Fun. There's a reason why we call them distribution partners and not customers, right? Because they are partners, and they're helping us with our business, and we're helping them with their business. It's a it's a give and take relationship. Uh, you mentioned yep. Richard Jacobs, who I knew very well, well still do. Um, in fact, he was on this podcast, as a matter of fact, a yes. couple of years ago. Yeah, I was I was close with him and he was he was great to watch in action. What did you learn from him? You know, he was just loaded, especially from a relationship standpoint. He was a master at relationships with the different distributors. So what did you learn from him before you took over the role?
1: Yeah, he absolutely was well-connected, had great relationships, and uh, to this day, you know, all of the executives, CEOs who I'm in contact with, his name comes up often. I'm sure. So he <laughs> left a, a legacy. He was well-respected, and he did a phenomenal job in representing Amphenol and being that face of Amphenol to our corporate uh, distributors, the executives at the corporate distributors. But the first thing that I learned from Richard Jacobs, you know, coming from FCI, we were very strong with the distributors, Mm -hmm. and we also had, you know, strong relationships there. When I took over from Richard, of course, all of the distributors tried to tell me, Annette, you've got to change the way Amphenol is structured as far as how we How you work with distribution. You know, there's too many operations, too many people we have to deal with. And so FCI, we were, you know, one group of people, one face to the distributors, very easy to do business with. That that was the perception, right? So of course I went in there thinking, yeah, I think the distributors are right. We need to make some changes here. So the first thing Richard Jacobs taught me was Annette. Don't change the recipe that has worked so well for Amphenol. That is really the secret sauce of our success, right? Mm. And it, it took me a little bit of time to fully get it, to fully comprehend. And once I was able to fully embrace the structure and see that the strategy and the culture and that entrepreneurial spirit only thrives because of our decentralized structure, right? So then what I became a believer and once I became a believer, now my challenge was to get the distributors to become a believer. And I have to say, we've made great strides in that several of our distributors have stopped fighting the structure and have started embracing the structure. And those who have, have exponentially higher growth than those who are still resisting and fighting. So, to me, the biggest lesson I learned from Richard was embrace the culture. Wise words of wisdom.
0: We've talked about it so many times on this podcast with so many different guests about the culture and the Amphenolian spirit and the entrepreneurial spirit and how the GMs are really in charge of the business. It's not some you know corporate overlords you know that are saying thou shalt do this and thou shalt do that. Mm-hmm. And especially when it comes to distribution. And you're right, I could see where you would work with, you know, large distributor partners and be like, well, this is the way you should do this. It's going to work so much better for you. If you have all your businesses do it this way, you're like, no, that's not how Amphenol works. I could understand how, you know, you coming from FCI who definitely had, a, I'm assuming a very defined way of working with distribution and a, a structure. And there was a, a system in place where you guys had others I don't want to say it's winging it, but it's like, look, we have our way of doing it. and You have to adapt to us. I, yeah. it's, it's so funny how that matches. And it's also heartwarming to hear how the distributors that have embraced that have actually succeeded more than maybe some others who, who fight that. Um, that's mm-hmm. really telling to me because it works for us. And now it's almost in a way it's working for our partners as well.
1: Oh absolutely that's it. and that really just feeds my excitement right and it makes me even a stronger believer in the model so that that's been wonderful so at the corporate level again we've made great strides where there is uh, work to be done is in the field mm-hmm. and so the common the common expression i i get from the distributors are there's so many people from so many different groups i don't know who to go to for what so what we're what we've tried to do to really help the distributors is, you know, we have an army of people just call who you know, mm-hmm. because the distribution manager from one group knows the distribution manager from another group. So they can quickly assess whether this opportunity is tied to their group or not. And if, if it's not, then they'll pass it on to the appropriate group that owns that kind of product or, or market. And so there's a solid sense of team we're very unified in all of the different regions all of the peers know each other so the big message is call your ethanol friend and let your friend bring you to the the next person that you may not know but by working through the opportunity you're going to get to know that person now you've established another relationship and by virtue of that happening through osmosis they'll get to know who their key contacts are for all the different groups but The first time, the first opportunity you don't know where to go to, call your affiddle friend and they'll connect you with the right people.
0: Well, good. I'm I'm glad to hear uh, everything is going smoothly. Distribution. I know you're probably very antsy to get back out there um, and work more with the partners, especially face to face, and get that three dimensional relationship instead of you know this two dimensional relationship. As you pointed out, you're in Vancouver now. That's where you're based out of. But you're not from there originally. You said you told me you're from Montreal originally, which I've been Montreal. to Montreal a couple times. I love that city, especially the old Montreal area. Tell me what it was like growing up in Montreal.
1: Well, born and raised in Montreal, my, my parents actually come from France. So uh, I'm first generation Canadian. So didn't know a word of English up until kindergarten. My parents wanted all of the kids to learn English. So they sent us to an English school. And that was quite traumatizing for me, <laughs> not understanding a word of English. So.
0: so how did you, did you just learn? You just picked it up? You had no choice. So.
1: You just had no choice yeah. and it kind of worked against my parents in the end because English became my predominant language. You might not think that hearing me speak.
0: <laughs> no, I, you, you sound like you have a Canadian accent, but your English oh, sounds yeah. perfect. Yeah.
1: It's funny depending on where I travel. Some people say I have a very strong French accent. Some people say, no, you just sound very English. And, uh, but no, um, Montreal, I love Montreal. It has such a French flair to it. It's a very yeah. unique city. Quebec is a very unique province. They really try their utmost to protect and cherish the French language and the culture. Mm-hmm. So so that, I mean, love that. But once I moved away from Montreal 15 years ago, after I got married, I didn't realize how tortuous the winters are in Montreal. When it's all you know, then you're, that's all you know, you don't think anything else,
0: Yeah.
1: move out to Vancouver where there's hardly a winter, (laughs) right? right? And uh, you just realize, wow, I can't believe I endured basically nine months of cold, snow, ice, right? And short, hot and humid summers mixed in with lots of mosquitoes and black flies. so from a weather perspective, I don't miss Montreal at all. From a culture, history, yeah. language, dining, you know, wonderful restaurants, nightlife, it's, it's fabulous. And yeah. I just
0: love. I, I love it, and for people where I am in, in upstate New York, I say, well, if you can't afford a, a ticket to fly to, to France or Paris and go see that, if you want just a little taste of that, within a five-hour drive away. Go up to Montreal and go into old Montreal. And it is, if you close your eyes, you could convince someone that they're in in France when you're there. It's great. It's so much fun. It's a lot the
1: of fun. The yeah. the horse and buggy, the, the bistros, the old buildings, the old hotels that used to be stables back in the 1700s that have been converted. You know, there's so much of that. Yeah. There's so much history. It's beautiful. And it's an island. So you're surrounded by water and yeah, it's pretty special. It's a very unique place in North America.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Does it mean you're a Canadians fan then? Or you don't really I'm care a about. Habs
1: fan. I'm a Habs fan. I have to say though, I have to admit only a Habs fan if they're in the, the finals. Uh. <laughs> Outside of that, you know, my parents were such Habs fans, they knew all the stories about all the players, watched all the games, so I used to tag along and watch with them when I was young. But I have to admit, and I'm probably offending a lot of Canadians, but I'll watch watch hockey during the finals, that's about it.
0: Okay, fair enough. And it's been a while, too, uh, unfortunately, that a Canadian team has won. In fact, I think the Canadians were the last ones, I think, in like 93, to the last Canadian team to win the Stanley Cup.
1: It was. It used to be a given, right? Right. At least sure. In the quarterfinals, you know, it used to at least be a given, and just in time, they've uh, not performed to how they used to perform back in the days. So I blame it on the Habs. That's the reason why I don't watch as frequently as I do.
0: And why are they called the Habs?
1: Les habitants. Les habitants. That's what uh, the long word is, which means habitants. Right. In English, and I guess it's just the local, local people from the local town, I guess, is the history behind that name.
0: I love it. It's so great. <laughs> and awesome uniforms, just classic uniforms. Anyway, uh, we, we won't do, uh, we'll, we'll stop with uh, hockey night in Canada. Um, <laughs> uh, how did you get out to Vancouver?
1: Oh, my So I'm currently married to a wonderful man of 15 years now. Uh, It's my second marriage. So like like I said, born and raised in Montreal, married for the first time in Montreal. I was married for nine years and then divorced for 10 and then connected with someone who was from Montreal uh, after his wife passed away. Mm. So he was married for 27 years, had a wonderful marriage, and unfortunately his wife passed away. And I, I knew them both, loved them both. And so we, by interesting circumstances, reconnected. He was living in Vancouver. And when we decided to get married, either he moved to Montreal or I moved to Vancouver and uh, took my three kids with me, moved up to Vancouver and just absolutely love British Columbia. Mm. You know, Montreal's got the history, the culture, the dining, the restaurants and all that, it's beautiful. But British Columbia is where it's at. Why is that? I tell you, surrounded by mountains, the Rocky Mountains,
0: mm-hmm.
1: thousands of lakes, beautiful landscaping. It's it's just so picturesque. It's just magical. So and plus the weather so much better, right? Mm-hmm. I love the weather in Western Canada. So although I, I miss Montreal, I miss my family who are all still back east. Good place to visit for that, but I just love coming back to British Columbia. When you're flying from anywhere into Vancouver and you fly over those mountains, just absolutely breathtaking.
0: Now, I peeked at your LinkedIn profile and saw that you went to McGill in Montreal, and you were a mechanical Mm -hmm. engineering student. I Yeah. Do you still use that? Do you still use that a little bit?
1: Well, you know... I have to say, when I entered the industry, I entered Arrow Electronics was my my first job oh, okay. out of college, and they had a college recruit program, so you went through different facets of the business, right? So I can't say I designed anything using my engineering degree mm-hmm. in this industry, and a little bit of background prior to that, so. While I was in university, one of my summer jobs was working for a biomechanical engineering professor. Okay. And he was doing research with a local surgeon who who was an orthopedic surgeon specializing in the knee.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: And he wanted procedures on different surgical treatments for people who would tear their meniscus. Meniscus are two ligaments that really support the two big bones in your knee, right? Mm -hmm. So my job was to show up in the lab every morning. And in the freezer in the lab was a bunch of human legs. (laughs) (laughs) And I had to take a leg out of the freezer and I had to saw the top of the leg above the knee and then below the knee. I had to let the the human knee thaw and then I would put electronic transducers on the meniscus of the knee. And then we would put the knee joint in a contraption and then the surgeon who was doing the research, wanted us to conduct all sorts of twist and torsion tests, depending on the procedure that he would put on the meniscus. He would cut oh. it this way, cut it that way, move this, move that. So we collected all sorts of data, but my job was to get that knee from that human leg. And I have to say that freezer was full of very interesting specimens. So oh. some, some were not so pretty, some you know were victims of gangrene so there was uh, lots of unsightly stuff that i had to deal with and uh, so so i have to tell you my first day on the job after thawing and, and i have to tell you it looks it looks like something you'd buy at a butcher shop right you would never notice the difference between something that you get at a butcher shop versus a thawed human knee joint so My first day of doing that, I I couldn't eat my lunch, my hand sandwich. I just couldn't do it. I had to stay away from meat, actually, for a little bit of time. So I tell you this story because it was fascinating. I was using, I guess, to a certain degree, my mechanical engineering knowledge, if you will. But on the flip side of that, it was a very isolating experience. I was working in a lab with two or three other individuals. The surgeon would come in several times a week, so that was the extent of my world, three or four people. And I am just someone who needs human contact. I just love socializing with people. And it got to a point where I was just starving for interaction with other people. So prior to graduation, I was looking for a job and looking through the paper back in the day, you would look for job postings in the (laughs) newspaper. Saw an ad for one of our distributors. Didn't quite understand what that company did or how it fit into the market, etc. But got the job, and it was Aero Electronics, and that was my first entrance into this wonderful world of electronic distribution.
0: From cadavers to connectors, <laughs> the, the Annette Tyler story.
1: <laughs> and I haven't looked back. It, it's great. you could use that.
0: You, you're more than welcome to use that.
1: Cadavers to connectors, love it. That's a good one.
0: I have a hundred questions on that, but I'm going to control myself and, <laughs> and move on because it'll be an entirely different series of podcast episodes if I get into that. But what a fascinating story in yeah. all seriousness, yeah. that is, that is unbelievable. I mean, I imagine, yeah, I could, I could see how the first couple of days that you go, all right, time for lunch. And you're just there going, oh goodness, I can't, I can't, I need a salad. I can't eat this. Oh, yeah. Totally. I, I brought a quarter. I got I brought a quarter of a chicken with me. I can't rip this apart mm-hmm. and eat the drumstick.
1: It's it's funny how in time, you know, it's just routine and that's what you do right. for your job. Don't even think twice about it. So that Yeah
0: that's an unbelievable uh transition job-wise, but <laughs> but it's a great story from cadavers to connectors. Annette Tyler, that's awesome. I'd I love to hear it. So how did you get to FSI then or FCI? Excuse me. Was that just a uh, a natural transition, ha- having been at Arrow, uh, seeing the business, and just seeing an opportunity with FCI, then and moving there.
1: I was there for five years, and you know, young, gung ho, want to conquer the world. Felt okay. I- I've done this for five years. I want to try something else now. So I actually entered into the world on the supplier side, on the electrical side. So mm. worked for a company called Lebedin, very well known company in electrical wiring devices, and I was there for several years. Then I moved on to working for a contract manufacturer, so I was their North America director of sales, and they ended up getting bought out by Sanmina, and then I got recruited by a headhunter for a company called FCI, never Mm -hmm. heard of them at all, and as I learned about them, interviewed with them, and did more research, I said, wow, this is a great opportunity, and, and got an offer I just couldn't refuse, and Started with FCI in 1998 as their Canadian sales manager and then within a few months FCI acquired uh, Berg Electronics and then in 2016 that whole conglomeration got acquired by Amphenol and as I've said to many people FCI at that time was ripe for sale we were Mm -hmm. owned by an investment firm and it was very well known, you know, we were up for sale, So who's going to buy us? That was the big question. Mm. Who else is going to buy us? You know, well, we don't want it to be this company. We don't want it to be that company. And then when we found out it was Amphenol, we were just so thrilled. I tell people it felt like we got adopted into a very rich family.
0: <laughs> That's great. I'm glad to hear that people felt that way.
1: Yeah, no. So it, it was um, from day one, I have to say, it's been such an honor and a privilege to be part of Amphenol. It's such a dynamic company. It's such a well run company, a well oiled machine, and it's so diverse, progressing so rapidly, staying ahead of what's going on out there. And again, our structure allows us to be able to be ahead, right? And to be Mm -hmm. able to pivot when things happen, when this whole pandemic thing started, we didn't skip
0: a beat. Right.
1: I mean, it's almost as if it, it helped our business, right? And this whole pandemic has certainly opened up opportunities and created new technologies, new markets, new companies out there. And so we feed off of that, right? So that certainly has helped our business, certainly has helped the distribution business. But anyway, it's just been a wild ride, a fun ride, and I'm just so excited about the future.
0: Well, I'm glad to hear for sure. And I hope that soon you get to get back out there and deliver that corporate message and that culture message for Amphenol in a face-to-face setting here, because I'm sure you're craving it at this point. But we'll move away from that for a second. And when you're not at work and you're there in Vancouver or wherever you may be, what do you like to do when you're not working?
1: Well, I try to run every day. So I've got a little home gym with, you know, treadmill and and weights and whatnot. So I try and get my workout in every day. So I I love to run on the treadmill. I used to run outdoors quite a bit, but my knees started aching a little bit too much from running on the pavement. So I've resigned to just doing my thing on the treadmill. So that's a real passion of mine is just trying to stay in shape. Mm I'm very much into my grandkids, so my, my husband has three kids, I have three kids, we have nine grandchildren wow. between the two of us, so before I married the second time, I didn't have any grandchildren, and I used to roll my eyes at people who talked about their grandkids, and I showed me a thousand pictures, you know,
0: but I gotta tell
1: you, once you become a grandparent, Oh, my goodness. So I'm one of those crazy people as well. So any time that I can spend with my grandkids is just very, very precious. So
0: You and me both. Another
1: big, yeah. another big part of my life. And I guess another element of of my uh, leisure time is I love to go camping. So I talked about how beautiful British Columbia is. Yeah. <laughs> So just love in the summer months to be out there in the outdoors and just enjoy the beautiful nature and surroundings. So, but when I say camping, I don't really mean camping as far as a tent is concerned. So, you know, I, I do the RV thing. you so glamping in a sense. Glamping, yeah. yeah. We're actually shopping for our next unit, which is proving to be challenging. You can't get a unit with a ladder on the back to get to the roof. There's a shortage in ladders, believe it or not. There's a so- shortage in anything that's made out of metal or aluminum. This whole supply chain logistics yeah. situation is just hitting all markets, right? So, And then the pricing, my goodness, the prices are going up. 30, 40%, it seems, uh, every month. So we, we might just take a breather from shopping for our next <laughs> RV until the market uh, isn't so hot. But
0: Oh, very cool. So it sounds like you definitely stay busy. But if I gave yeah. you the opportunity to go to a deserted island by yourself, right? Let's say a <laughs> tropical island. So we have to rule out Vancouver. We obviously have to rule out Montreal. We could do somewhere in the Caribbean, say. And you're by yourself, and I say, okay, Annette, you get to bring with you one album, one book, one movie. All right? What album would you bring? We'll start with them.
1: You're asking the wrong person for an album. Artist? Oh, man. Artist, artist. You know, my son would really love me if I said Ed Sheeran. Okay. He's the biggest Ed Sheeran fan, so I guess by osmosis. I guess I'm an Ed Sheeran fan. He's he's pretty innovative, original, and creative, right? So, is there any guess, particular
0: song, something upbeat? Oh, I mean, you're on a desert <laughs> island, right? I mean, don't want something too sad. Oh,
1: yeah. Scratch that question. I can't think of one. I have to, you know, give me some Ed Sheeran songs. I guess, and I would say, yeah, I like that one. But move on to the next
0: question. <laughs> and we'll say it's Ed Sheeran, anyhow. How about a book? What book would you bring with you?
1: A book. So I'm. A person of deep faith. So I would bring the best-selling book of all time, and that's the Bible. Okay. So that, it's my source of strength and hope and joy and peace and gets me going at the beginning of each day. I try and read a part of the Bible every day, I'd try to get through the Bible in a year. So that would be my, my choice for sure.
0: Okay, no hesitation on that selection. That was an easy one. Now, how yep. about a movie?
1: So my favorite movie is Hidden Figures. I oh. can't remember when it came. was. It yeah, last like year, couple years couple ago, of years,
0: couple years ago. Yeah, maybe two, three, four uh, years ago. Do you
1: know what? Which one I'm talking about? I do. Yeah, I do. So it's the movie you know about NASA and right. these African American mathematicians who are really human computers but at the largely
0: time. behind a lot of the yeah mathematical formulas to to uh, help way. the the program. Yeah.
1: Yeah, doing the complex equations by hand to get John Glenn launched into space, orbit the Earth, and then return back safely, right? So John Glenn didn't trust the IBM computer, which was relatively new. And uh, I mean, it's a great story about math. I love math. Great story about powerful women. its history, civil rights. The acting was phenomenal. I just loved it all around. I thought it was a fabulous, fabulous movie.
0: Okay. Sounds like you'd be pretty content on that desert island then. But <laughs> you, the way, you the won't have a camper be- with a ladder on the back though. So we know that.
1: The island would be Hawaii. If I could choose my island, it would be Hawaii.
0: I have no issues with that. I would probably choose it as well. So, well, listen, Annette, I thank you for taking time to do this today. Um, really enjoyable conversation. I appreciate it a lot. And um, you know, if anyone sees you and they, you know, say, "Hey, it's the woman from Cadavers to Connectors," well, now you're going to know why.
1: Penned by Chris Capello. I think that's perfect. I'll have to steal that and use that one. I think that was fabulous.
0: Thank you, Annette.
1: It was a lot of fun, Chris. Thanks so much.